0: What can I help you with, bro? Oh, hello. I'm uh, looking for some purple kush and uh, hash brownies. Excuse me? You know,
1: the plant that grows out of the ground.
2: We only stock the liquid alternative. You know, the kind that leads to violence, social problems, the occasional gruesome death. It's 2014, man.
0: And you're telling me I have no other choice but to consume these dangerous products?
2: Dangerous as they may be, they are legal. I tell you what, you looked like a peach cider man when you came in first, but
0: there are some beers over there. They're closer. Why don't we try one of these old sataroonies, eh? Put it down.
2: Put it down, put it down, put it. Okay, oh, oh.
0: okay get out.
2: You gotta get out. You Come on. sick bastard. Whoa. You support
0: these liquor companies out. without
1: any care
2: for your fellow man. All right, get the fuck out. You gotta go.
0: What's this? Marijuana seeds and so many different strains. I think I'm gonna take one of everything. <laughs> King Seeds. World-class cannabis seeds.
3: And use it in a, you know, without being too sort of pretentious about it, uh, like a more or less spiritual way, you know, where I'll actually get a little gong three
4: times, and make it into a kind of a mini ritual. Okay, guys, welcome back to the Grime America show. Uh, We're going to be chatting with Stephen Gray a little bit later about his book, um, Cannabis and Spirituality. Um, Michael also joined us for the interview, which is always fun. But first, as always, Graham... Boats and hoes, Dunlop. Let's go, buddy.
1: That's not really fair. <laughs> <laughs> what is that all about? You, could just, you, you almost just restarted the intro, and then you just came up with that. Not prepared at all. No. I spent I an hour in here preparing for the show, and you just change it in like two seconds. All right. I don't care. Should I restart? No. Just keep going. <laughs> we better restart. I am on a boat when this comes out. So. That's right. Yeah. So, fair enough. I'm on a boat right now. You're on a boat right now. Yeah. And I'm freezing my ass off in Calgary. Yeah. Not literally, but. Probably. I, I will be. Like, I'm not on a boat as I'm talking, but as people are listening. You'll be on a boat. Yeah. Unless Hopefully. they listen way down the road. Hopefully you're not on then a lifeboat. it just boat. doesn't make any sense at all for people. Hopefully you're not on yeah.
4: a lifeboat or just like. Yeah treading water. As you listen to this, Graham is slowly being picked <laughs> apart by sharks. <laughs> anyway, how you been since uh, 20 minutes ago when we did the last intro? My
1: toes are a little warmer.
4: Are they? A uh, little feet, bit. My feet are sweating.
1: It's a little warmer. <laughs> I should really wear warmer socks. Do you wear warm socks? or No. I don't, I'm wearing I my Sorrells. Yeah. They're not actually Sorrells, or really? like? I don't know what they Fake are. Fake Sorrels, Knock-off Sorrels. You just call them Sorrels, Like you call Kleenex tissue or tissue Kleenex? They're Wind River. <laughs> nice. Are those
4: new? I got them, yeah. Oh, I got them this year. Huh. This winter. Lisa was sick of seeing me trudge around the snow in my shoes. It's been a long time since I bought winter boots. Yeah. Like actual... You know, I can go hike through the snow on these things.
1: I bought really cheap ones at winters. Greyhawk or something like that, they're called. I uh, yeah, can't get t- Grey Wolf. Grey Wolf. Yeah, cheap. Uh, they're okay, though. They they work. I think they're fine. Do they?
4: Yeah. yeah it's it's not
1: really cold. I mean, it's cold for a couple of weeks here, but other than that, I'm usually in my shoes or small boots
4: or something like that. Until you hit the ditch.
1: Yeah, that's the You're thing. Walking. No, but that, you know what? That's the thing, right? It is.
4: When you're walking down the highway in the middle yeah. of the night, you know, that's when people get killed. No one's getting killed, you know, going from their fucking...
1: Work to home or whatever, but yeah. it's when you're driving so at night something or something happens. happens. If something happens and it's that cold and that icy, and yeah, that's... It's, it's like this week here, if you're, you know, your power's out and you don't have a fireplace in your
4: house, it's going to fucking get cold.
1: Really cold, yeah. You'll be practicing Wim yeah. breathing technique all day long. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. All I got to do is shut the gas off. So, yeah, this was a fun episode, eh, with Stephen Gray of Triumphous and Spirituality.
4: Yeah, yeah, Lisa loved the book. Yeah. I haven't, I I only kind of skimmed it. I didn't realize there's was a compilation at first. Uh, no? No. Hmm. you looking at your mic weird? Yeah, it just seems to, to be cutting out Turn up bit, your gate to combat is, the or? mouth noises. So, so, that you have to really make sure you're talking into, into it. the mic.
1: Otherwise, it just won't well, yeah.
4: Yeah, so oh, okay. so yeah I got to stop no, okay okay, I got it yeah. okay, you just want me to stop saying it,
1: yeah, okay, we do like the feedback though, sending in feedback about audio quality, especially, yeah, especially mouth noises and content <laughs> <laughs> don't piss people off,
4: <laughs> and they'll blame you.
1: look at that a s m r
4: that grabs making fucking mouth noises again. So what do you got? You got a trip report, you said?
1: Well, it's kind of a trip report. It's more of a, it might be a synchronicity as well, and a story of travel. It's just kind of, I don't know, we get great stories from listeners, and we like to share them on the show and get people involved. This has really become a platform where people can share their experiences freely with non-judgment. That's right. You know? That's kind of what we wanted it to be, but Except it's just sort of organically.
4: You know? Can you be more judgmental than rating?
1: That's a good point, actually. <laughs> That is really weird. That's a weird paradox. Of the whole thing—we're we supposed to be this open on, and then we start rating things. No, <laughs> five point four. That's good. That is weird. Why did we let that happen? I guess it just organically happened.
5: The psychedelics are catalysts of
6: consciousness.
1: Actually, this isn't appropriate. I wanted to read this one. I'm a you just what are you doing over the there? All over the didn't west. you
4: say it was uh, all those things that? It, it yeah, that's editor? true. Yeah. yeah, I'm just that good.
1: It's appropriate for this episode. I, w- I wanted to. I wanted to read this in uh, Tanner and Callie's episode, but they didn't that. make it. Yeah. So you dropped the ball. So this is from Tommy and it reminds me of traveling as a young buck. A young buck. Yeah. A young buck. (laughs) I just started listening to Grimerica on 12, seven. He says, Hey lads, lucky numbers. After moving and doubling the length of my daily commute, I needed something to supplement no agenda. Oh, there's another no agenda listener. And Grimerica was the natural choice. Suburb content and definite value. Suburb, for- <laughs> suburb content is that because is that cause we're in the I was suburbs? That. He says superb, <laughs> superb content, it and definitely technically
4: suburb content too.
1: Yeah, and definite <laughs> value for value. I signed up for a three thirty three subscription after only two days of listening. So wow, thanks. Uh, That's great. Thank you for the support. I think some work acquired taste for most. I think you might need a a couple more days. You might
4: have canceled it.
1: uh... I have a synchronicity story I'd like to share among friends. And I think it's pretty good. It's a long one though. So between the summer 2008 and fall 2009, I lived abroad in Prague, Czech Republic. I was doing my senior year at an art university there, but that was just the excuse to get me there. I had visited Prague the year before and had fallen in love, both with the city and a particular Czech girl. We had maintained a long-distance relationship for a year and she had a friend's apartment set up for me that I could use while getting settled in Prague. After finally seeing each other, again after a year, the first night back together, we both just felt the spark was missing. As it turned out, the friend's apartment that I would be staying in belonged to her Czech other boyfriend of sorts. I had my own American other girlfriend of sorts, so I wasn't mad at her, but the spark was undeniably gone. We split up during my first night back in Prague. I was able to keep the apartment and never found out whether the other boyfriend was ever told about it. For my second month in Prague, I moved into the first place that would accept me. The fact that it was in the Letna district, minutes from my school, was just good luck. My roommate was an American lady at least 15 years older than me. My first night there, she ended up in drunken tears, and between sobbing fits, choked out a story of how her mom had to leave her stomach removed due to cancer. Oh, to have her stomach removed due to cancer. My mom was able to eat, or sorry, mom was able to eat, but unable to digest food due to the esophagus being connected directly to the intestines. Even more depressing was how my new roommate's father would cook these incredible gourmet meals every night to feed his dying wife who couldn't even digest it. Expectedly, I ended up spending most of my time away from that apartment. I instead made home base out of a local cafe. It was a place I wandered into off the street, but quickly became a regular. The coffee, beer, and music were all good, but it was the vibes that kept coming me back kept me coming back. Month two was a coming to a close, and I had a, a nice apartment sorted to move into. It was a studio garden apartment just a couple streaks down from the my current place, and one I was going to have all to myself. The landlord was an expat named Mike. We had a handshake agreement and arranged a date during the week to do the official parts of the move-in. The morning of the agreed date, my phone rings, and it's Mike. He's telling me how he's incredibly sorry, but I can't have the apartment. He assures me how this isn't something he normally does, but there were extraordinary circumstances. I tell him it's fine, even though it really wasn't. I already told my roommate that I was leaving and she already found a new person. She was glad to see me go. I had nowhere except the cafe. So I get, I go there, get on the Wi-Fi and find a cheap hostel. I picked the first one on the list that was in the Letna district. I live out of a hostel for an entire month until I could find something else. I still spend most of my time at the cafe, but that closed at 10. So I started spending late nights at the hostel bar. The owner took a shine to me and offered... Me to me a job tending the bar, which I accepted. The apartment I ended up moving into was the size of a closet, so I kept up the habit of school, cafe, then hostel bar, regardless of whether I was working or not. Over the coming months, my life settled into a routine. The hostel was great for meeting people, one of which was a German girl who introduced me to Robert Anton Wilson and the concept of synchronicity. I started reading reading Cosmic Trigger and Illuminatus and around that same time, Biz, the proprietor of the cafe, revealed to me that he used to be a house DJ and still does small rave events among friends, which now he considers me among. He also tells me that I should come to him first if I need marijuana or anything else. He then introduces me to MDMA. It just appears on a saucer along with my espresso with a wink, from Biz. The German girl was long gone, but Illuminatus was still there, which provided my mental setting for the experience. MDMA was life-changing, completely. Everything came into focus, sudden illumination, and I laughed non-stop in my small closet apartment for about five hours. Biz, Hagbird, Celine... Prague, the yellow submarine, the secret of the Illuminati, who is the master that makes the grass green, I knew the punchline to the cosmic joke. Flash forward one year and many raves later, still working at the hostel bar, which we turn into a local music venue, I have a powerful LSD experience that a hostel guest invited me to join him with, and after that I decided it was time to leave Prague. There was something else I needed to get back to. I suddenly decided I needed to go. Some sort of precog... I'm sure it was at the time. Nobody else believed I would do it. So we had my going away party at the hostel bar. I go straight to the airport from the party. I realize that I have a dose of MDMA and a gram of hash that Biz gave me still in my pocket. <laughs> I decide to eat them both in the airport bathroom. Nice. So there I was, pre-dawn at the Prague airport, coming up on E!, Drinking vending machine coffee and smoking a cigarette outside. (laughs) Can you imagine? And the hash, too. A woman approaches me, an American, and asks for a light. We have a small talk and realize that we're waiting for the same flight to Frankfurt. She tells me that she lived in the Letna district and is returning home to the States. I tell her that I also lived in Letna and asked her what street. She tells me, and another coincidence, it is the street that I was about to move to until the agreement fell through at the last minute. I see the synchronicity coming, as well as the MDMA. So I guess the building number, number 17, right? She says yes. Was it the garden apartment? Do you know Mike? Yes and yes. I tell her I was promised that apartment and how Mike gave it to somebody else at the last minute. She admits she was that person. She was in an abusive relationship, and Mike was a friend that she confessed to, and he stepped in to help her get out of it. Obviously, the apartment was a necessary element of that. So if I had gotten the apartment, if she had never confessed her secret to Mike, there would be no hostel bar. All my friends and surrogate family that I built in that space would not be in my life. There, were, there would maybe have been MDMA, but not Illuminatus. One without the other wouldn't have had the same impact. I would have just been stoned and not illuminated Prague is a city with punishes, that, that punishes planning and rewards risk, labyrinthine and mysterious like consciousness itself. And it gives me this grand synchronicity to finish with. And let me explain it with a woman who my fate became silently intertwined with. I never even learned her name. Or if I have, if I had, I could completely forgotten it. We part ways in Frankfurt after having a drink together. I was not surprised to learn that she knew my crazy roommate and the story of the stomachless mom. I tried tried to take MDMA a few times after getting back to the States, but the spark was gone. And it wasn't long after that I gave it up entirely. Around that time, I also met my future wife, mother of my child. That's my synchro story. I hope you enjoyed the read. The note has been long enough, so I just want to add that I love the show and keep doing what you're doing. And, uh, wow. Yeah, and I apologize for the read, I'm a bit uh, stumbling over my words today. Yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah You can't you can't yeah, yeah, say yeah, it. Yeah, yeah.
4: Like, yeah. That was yeah, good, yeah. though.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Interesting story, eh? Yeah.
4: That was good or give it I, an eight.
1: I think it, what? Eight point two. Really? Hey, wow, that's a good good rating there. Yeah. Do you want to oh, I got another little one here for you too. Oh no, actually, I actually have a whole other segment I want to do. What sort of segment? <laughs> The climate change update, or not climate change, but
4: global weather warming. modification. Global, warming. and we going to talk about global warming when it's minus a billion.
1: So, um, I was expecting to hear a little bit more when I read that the first time about the about the airplane and what it would have been like. Uh, must have been a bit weird. What'd you do to sit down and close your eyes?
4: Yeah, probably just go with it, Ron. What else are you going to do? Might as well enjoy it. Yeah, it's an easy one to
1: roll with, you know. You think? Yeah. Pasture, though. Eating eating your grandma hash and MDMA. Yeah, I could roll with that. Yeah, if I needed to. Yeah. Be a lot easier than say a bunch of ketamine or something. Yeah, I guess. So or did so you hear? Heard,
4: or so I've heard. Um I hear what?
1: Did you hear about um, the expert from the EPA on climate change getting uh, arrested? No, for what? For for pretending to be a CIA agent. For what? (laughs) Apparently he just didn't do any work. He was like one of the highest paid executives at the EPA on climate change he just did no work and he was never in the office and he was always pretending to be a CIA agent just telling people he's a CIA agent or doing CIA <laughs>
4: stuff yeah or... like
1: he'd say I'm in Langley today when he's just bullshitting people do you want to hear the art you want to hear about it sure Hey, yeah, clip time Graham
4: is an all-in-law uh. in chemtrails
1: I mean, maybe he does work for the CIA. I don't know. It says here, alleged fake CIA to be sentenced. You ready?
0: What is really a bizarre story? How far would you go to get out of work? Well, a top EPA official will be sentenced today for bilking the government out of nearly one million dollars by claiming that he worked undercover for the CIA. NBC National investigative correspondent Michael Isikoff has details on that.
6: His name is Beale, John Beale. A self-styled CIA secret agent with a license to steal. Mr. Chairman, I respectfully decline to answer that question on the basis of my Fifth Amendment privilege. Beale, the highest paid official at the EPA and a top expert on climate change, did absolutely no work for years, according to court documents, claiming he was serving <laughs> as an undercover spy for the CIA.
3: Mr. Beale never worked for the CIA, and indeed, they had no record of him even being on the premises.
6: NBC News has obtained Beale's internal emails, revealing how he pulled off his charade. I am at Langley this morning, he writes in this one, pretending to be at CIA headquarters. In another, I'm in Pakistan. Hope to be back for Christmas. Ho, ho, ho. And what was Beale really doing when he wrote these emails?
3: He said he was riding his bicycle, he was reading books, and working around his house.
6: Beale, who has pled guilty, says through his lawyer he's seeing a therapist about his need to fabricate grandiose narratives. Beale also received hundreds of thousands of dollars in bonuses, billed <laughs> taxpayers for first-class air tickets, and claimed falsely that he was suffering from malaria that he got in Vietnam, where he'd never been, so he could get a handicapped parking space costing $8,000. Members of Congress are now demanding to know why EPA officials, including Gina McCarthy, Beale's immediate boss, didn't challenge his cover stories. An EPA spokeswoman claims McCarthy discovered Beale's fraud and has imposed new controls. Beale is due to be sentenced today. Michael Izakoff, NBC News, Washington. That's a bit of a bit of a hit for the climate
1: change uh <laughs> I tried to shut it off. It's
4: yeah, I'm sure you did. I'm sure you did. I believe you. That's a bit of a joke, eh? That's got to be a joke.
1: No. What do you mean a joke? What, a fake news? Yeah. That was M- NBC or whatever. Oh. Uh. Oh. Uh. And I read this other, uh, in the truthwiki.org, it talk about uh climate change expert jailed for embezzling nearly a million from the EPA. Is
4: it all a bunch of crooks? No, I, I mean, it's... I'm a, C- who's a fucking dumb asshole who falls for a buddy who says he's a CIA agent. Like, what do you think happens if I go into i like?
1: No, he's undercover. I'm, like, I'm, I'm like, not I'm supposed I, to tell anybody. I gotta Don't tell anybody.
4: Yeah, how do you not get fired?
1: Oh, Bill was the EPA's uh, top climate hey, change Kev, expert. Hopefully, I'll be
4: back for Christmas. <laughs> but just keep paying me. I've got a, I've got an assignment. <laughs> See, you can only do that if you work for a I'll, government agents. Where's my band. Right. That's right.
1: So, he but this is I mean, just
4: my cover job.
1: You know, they they did mention that he was in climate change, but I mean, I this article here that I'm reading now just says he was um, the top climate change expert, which I find it hard to believe. If you're the top climate change expert, I'm sure you got to go into the office every once in a while. I don't know if it's all a farce. That's true. I mean, what kind of organization gets? I mean, especially when he's getting paid like 200 grand a year. Must be nice, and he's just not even showing up, like these are not have to do any like reporting scientific reporting or anything like that. He's just traveling around the globe. Well, I'm in
4: Pakistan. Hopefully I'll be home for Christmas.
1: Oh, get this. Beale is married to Nancy Keat, a woman that President Obama appointed to the National Commission on the BP Deepwater Horizon oil spill and offshore drilling. She's also the managing director of the Rockefeller Foundation, one of the most insidious foundations on earth that also fuels eugenics and mass genocides. Well, I don't want to I don't know where that's if that's fake or not. So I don't want to say that's true.
4: Well, you wanna say it's true.
1: But I don't know, man. I think things are really uh going wrong for these uh this anthropogenic global warming bullshit. Judith Curry's been She was on Tucker Carlson, and she's been on, she's a a scholar. Now, I should have had her actual bio here, but she's a a scientist who's leaving the academic community because of this. Uh, Let me just explain. uh, Because of the bullshit? I'll play a clip here. This is at the Commerce, Science, and Transportation Subcommittee, SR 253. I think it's pretty recent. Yeah.
3: Thank
0: you, Senator Markey.
1: Senator Nelson. Uh, Dr. Curry wanted to respond to oh,
0: Senator. Is it
5: possible for me to respond? You, you, you basically...
0: I, I did not ask for uh, ask you a question. Did
5: really? Did why did can't you, Why can't she respond, did, Senator? Did, Senator.
6: I, I Dr. Was... Curry, you're... you're you, Im, to... you impugned
4: her integrity. I uh, think she's uh, entitled. You are to... I, welcome to respond,
5: Dr. I was basically called a denier that I'm denying science. Did you read my written testimony? Are you aware that the IPCC and the consensus has no explanation for the increase of ice in the Antarctic? Are you aware that they have no explanation for the fact that the rate of sea level rise from 1920 to 1950 was as large, if not larger, as it currently is? Are you aware that temperatures have been warming for more than 200 years, and that in the 20th century, 40% of the warming occurred before 1950 when carbon dioxide was not a factor in the warming. Okay, And I could go on and on. Many of these issues are raised in my written testimony. And most of it is pulled from the IPCC itself. (laughs) The IPCC has an explanation for, so it says for warming, during the period 1975 to 2000, it doesn't have an explanation for the flat period since 2000. It doesn't have an explanation Dr. Mayor, for I the early. Said, in centric- my testi-
0: Doctor, as I just said in my testimony, corroborated by Dr. Titley, this is the warmest year ever recorded. Last year is the warmest year ever recorded until this year. This is the warmest November ever recorded. October is the warmest. Uh, October ever recorded. You do not have an answer well, for that. I guess January is yes. not going to be the one. Or December. That. No. no. has over his uh, uh, left shoulder, he has documented for this committee the warming trend which is inexorable, inevitable in terms of its consequences unless we take action here. That's the science. No, You're having a hard issue, time in responding the to the issue. The issue is Dr. what Eric. is
5: causing the warming. Is it natural variability or is it humans?
0: Like Galileo, he said no, the science. Are you the aware the science the science is clear. You are depending upon are you something a- that perhaps is God-made rather than dependent upon what? something that is man-made, which is anthropogenic and and uh, documented by 97% of all <clears throat> of the scientists. Are you saying there's no natural variability, Senator? I, there were alligators at the North Pole. What, uh, what was that? Was that you in your SUV? What I am saying is that <coughs> this warming mm-hmm. is something that... While it may have a variability year to year in specific parts of the planet, that Wind the trend up? is straight up. Yeah, and do you know what? Do you know what the Little Ice last Age and was, Senator? And again, it is.
1: So yeah, good good little battle there. A couple people going at it, talking about the Little Ice Age in the last two hundred years and all this unexplainable stuff.
4: Is that like the see the whatever? What? Is that, like, the public television or whatever? Where C-SPAN? you that C-SPAN? Is that what you're thinking?
1: No, that was just from uh, YouTube. Oh. Yeah. But it was, you know, like, I don't know if if it was originated on there. Actually, it was the Harry Readme file or something like that. So Commerce, Science, and Transportation Subcommittee. But, yeah, interesting uh, little battle there. Interesting little battle. Right, what do you think? It was a
4: good one. Yeah. Actually, it was, uh...
1: uh what? What? What would you have liked better?
4: I don't know. A little more pizzazz. Yeah. Maybe one of them could have told the other one to fuck off.
1: Yeah. Fuck off. <laughs> yeah, man. This is gonna be one of these big ones coming up, I think, you know? Um over the next few years. Was, who over. is the woman
4: who was talking? She was a scientist? That's Judith Curry. And the Who's? senators is telling her she's an idiot.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ninety seven percent. Stick with that. I was going to play another one for you that debunked the 97% because I think we should actually have that one handy. There's a couple different versions of it, of where that came from, but it's so far apart from the truth. Like The, it, the 97 was actually more like 1% or something when you get down to it. It's pretty
6: pretty
4: bad. You was, know what I mean? This is only, it was 90 97% of the authors who had written climate change, pro-climate change pieces, I think. Yeah,
1: something like that but the actual percentage of overall scientists was like 1% or 3%, I think. Something pretty much opposite.
4: Anywho, check out (laughs) grammarica.ca slash support, guys, for all the different ways you can keep us ad sponsor, affiliate, and bullshit free. No paywalls, no commercials, no none of that shit. Um, Yeah, like I say, grandmyrco.ca slash support. There's all sorts of different options there. Anything from a buck a month to 30 bucks a month, you can do a one-time donation, uh, you can check out gramerica.ca slash swag I've got uh, shirts left shirt. too
1: some uh, physical shirt shirts for left spot. for local people so uh,
4: sign people up for the newsletter and as always
1: Spam
2: Graham, Graham.
4: and I think that uh, 97% of you should enjoy this chat with Steven Gray <laughs>
1: All right, so tonight, through a somewhat strange synchronicity, we have Stephen Gray here. We're talking about his his new book, Cannabis and Spirituality. So, get this: Darren's Darren's uh, friend was giving his wife this book, uh, and three days later, the both book of us. showed She's up. Both of us, both of you guys, yeah. the book, and then three days later, the book showed up unannounced uh, from from the publisher. So it's pretty interesting there. And its uh, subtitle is "An Explorer's Guide to an Ancient Plant Spirit Ally." So, uh, yeah, it should be interesting. Thanks for coming on the show, Stephen.
3: No problem. Glad to.
1: So, um, I guess, how did the book is
4: basically about aligning uh, cannabis use with your your spirituality? What was your driving force in, in putting this book together?
3: Well, let's see. How long of an answer do you want?
4: <laughs> well, might as well do the long version, yeah. <laughs>
3: where, where do we start Okay, I'm going way back, um, but I'll keep that part brief. Um, the way back part is that uh, I was—I've been interested in psychedelics since I was about 18, <clears throat> so we're talking, you know, 45 years or so now, or more. Um, and uh, I encountered at that time uh, some information connecting the use of psychedelics to spirituality. Uh, and uh, although cannabis wasn't so much a part of that, um, uh, I mean, it was in a general sense, but not in a specifically um, uh, talked about way. Um, you know, LSD was the big one in those days, of course, and a few others, but mostly LSD. Uh, but I've always liked the cannabis plant. It, uh, it taught me a few things when I was pretty young. It taught me how to dance, taught me how to listen to music, and a few other things. <laughs> Um, really, I was quite shy when I was a teenager and, and, uh, oh, I could go on about this one, but I'll just tell you really briefly, uh, uh, I was at a, a little, uh, yacht club in a rural part of Nova Scotia up in Canada. And, and, uh, my friends and I were, uh, at the yacht club bar and there was some kind of Celtic group playing and, and we'd had a couple of puffs and, uh, they knew me as this kind of shy you know, not very, um, uh, physically expressive kind of guy. And, um, we'd had a couple of puffs and uh, I just got the the bug to get up and start doing a sort of, uh, pseudo, um, uh, you know, two step or whatever they do. Um, and having a great time doing it. And my, I came back to the table and my friends all went, what the hell was that? I have never seen you do anything like that before. So I always feel like I've had an affinity for the plant and um, skipping, you know, 40 years or so, excuse me, Um, and along the way, uh, without going into detail, I'll say that I've it hasn't always been a hundred percent positive in my life. Uh, it's never been a major problem, but, uh, I think it actually triggered a degree of bipolarity in my early twenties at one point, but that's another story. You can ask about it if you want, but we're getting away from the main theme here, of course. Cannabis did. Yeah, I think so. Um, well, okay. So that's one of the things that I would talk about, uh, whether you ask about it or not, is that, uh, um, and I talk about this in the book, uh, in my chapters. That is the that I, I see, or I like to think of cannabis as a, uh, uh, in the same way that uh, other entheogens are sometimes described to, as a, a non-specific amplifier, or sometimes uh, it's called an unspecific amplifier, which means it has a hell of a lot to do with how you channel the energy. For for uh, for, um, you know the major Athenians, they talk about set and setting a lot, and I address that book as well. Um, So uh, when I was uh, when I was in my early twenties, I was using the plant quite a lot, um, and not with any with no attention to setting or ritual or any notion of it being a spiritual ally. And um, I think it it, it it triggered, because I hadn't had uh, issues with uh, bipolarity before that, um, it happened during that sort of year or two uh, where I would swing back and forth from depression to more or less elation. Um, it only lasted a couple of years, but then so did that level of cannabis use.
1: Do you think it had anything to do with um, the legality of it and, and sort of having to straddle that line between Doing what you're doing, but uh, having some, not necessarily shame, but like, you know, the stigma around drugs. No,
3: I don't. <laughs> For one thing, I'm in Canada, um, and uh, uh, you know, I'm being a little bit glib there. But uh, the uh, the situation in the States in those days and probably still um, was very different from Canada. The, the police, uh, you know, I'm not trying to put down uh, your fine country, but the police have always been more aggressive in the United States, as far as I can tell, um, and much gentler in Canada. Um, so, yes, it was illegal, but I wasn't really thinking about that i wasn't worried about it uh no i just think it triggered a latent kind of um you know degree of uh you know up and downness that was there you know it didn't last i mean i it, it didn't become it didn't become habitual I, didn't, I never got onto any kind of you know pharmaceutical medications or anything like that um it just was like that for a couple of years you know where i'd swing for two or three weeks um well to put it in more spiritual terms um uh, excuse me, that whole idea of um swinging back and forth like that, I see as um, uh, how would I put this? Uh, it's uh, I've, I've been very interested in Buddhism, I used to study, practice, and somewhat sometimes teach Buddhism, Tibetan Buddhism, and uh, uh I, I really like the way Buddhist teachings uh, explain. Ego and the basic conundrum that we face as human beings. Um, so the way they talk about ego is that uh, it, the more we're uh, embedded in an ego uh, way of relating to the world, not egotistical necessarily, just you know caught in the what Buddhist teachings would call the illusion of the separate self, it one's um, self-esteem and one's relationship to how you're doing in the world is very conditional. So, you know, if you thought things were going well, you'd get, uh, you know, you could be up about it and on top of your game, etc. If you felt like things weren't going well or you started judging yourself, um, then you could, uh, you know, fall into a negative state of mind about all that so the ego is always based on conditions that are external to oneself that way of course based on this narrative that you create in your head Mm -hmm. Um, and so as coming back to this idea that cannabis is a non-specific amplifier it, it exaggerates whatever your state of mind is, potentially, you know, I like to say that whatever road you're facing down, it can take you farther down that road yeah. and both it's, uh, you know, it's potential and it's problem. Um, uh, because as you guys probably know, a lot of people, uh, uh, are not using cannabis wisely there. It's not a benefit in their lives. Um, it, you know, it can be, uh, it can be uh, an escape for people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but if you channel it this is where a lot of the focus of the book is I think is that if you uh, if you channel that energy that enhanced or amplified energy into uh, being fully present opening your heart opening your body or relaxing um, meditating doing yoga other spiritual type practices or just simply being very present in the space um, then that's the way in which it's a spiritual ally in my view um, because it it deepens or amplifies those intentions and those states of mind
4: do you think um do you think we'll ever get to the the place where we can have sort of uh almost like pharmacies where where people can can go in and, and and talk to someone and get because you know it's almost like different strains and the, and these different things can, can sort of help if someone was feeling depressed, you know, there might be something that helps more than someone that's just looking to jump right into the moment.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, uh, we'd better, uh, you know, um, <laughs> no, seriously, uh, <laughs> that's the way to go. It, you know, it's to, uh, it, you know, I mean, I could go on about this a lot. Uh, one way of approaching this is, uh, to think about the fact that in the course of human history, there have been numerous cultures, and I guess you could say subcultures within cultures, that have been um, have had a stunning knowledge of pharmacopoeia of the plant-based medicines of the planet, um, and and how they combine as well. Uh, I'm just reading a book right now that talks about uh, Chinese medicine in the pre-Christian era. And uh, there was a period in there for at least several hundred years, it, it kind of waxed and waned, but there was a period where the, the shamans and the medical people had an immense knowledge of, of plant medicines and um, uh, and how they combined, you know, they mixed concoctions and things like that. And the Greeks, the ancient Greeks were like that too. You know, there's a book uh, I read where the, um, they, the fellow talks about how uh, when Greek, when the ancient Greeks talked about wine, they were talking about taking a thimbleful of wine, um, of what they called wine. Uh, so you would not be that would not be you know your basic fifteen dollar bottle of wine. Uh, we're talking about here. Um, uh, they infused uh, a, quite a number of plants, probably including cannabis, datura, and a whole bunch of other things into their wines. People have known around this planet a great deal about plant medicines um, so we're, we've been in a nadir I guess you could say about all that in modern times especially in the west but yes more or less around the planet as well um, and a lot of that knowledge has been lost. I mean, you could walk into a pharmacy 100 years ago in the United States or Canada, and, uh, and uh, I would hope that the pharmacist would know a lot, would have known a lot about those uh, cannabis substances. They, were, they had all kinds of variations of them, uh, tinctures and oils and topicals and salves and all these things, you know. It wasn't until the 1930s in the United States that, the, that uh, cannabis was outlawed. Um, in the late 19th century and early 20th century, it was very common and accepted and not stigmatized at all. Although they didn't know about its spiritual use particularly, unless they happened to read Fitzhugh Ludlow or somebody like that. Hmm. I don't know. Do you know who Fitzhugh Ludlow is? Sounds
7: familiar. Remind me. Uh,
3: I forgot the name of the book he wrote, but uh, he was a very young guy. He was sort of a You know, prodigy in that sense, Uh, a little bit like Rambeau, who also, uh, I believe, was a cannabis devotee um, uh, in his youth. Um, uh, But Fitzhugh Ludlow is an American and I, he was writing sometime in the 1860s or 70s, I'm not quite sure, he wrote this book. He he was using hashish, I believe, and I think he was taking it orally, and he was having these really remarkable experiences, and he was very articulate about how he wrote about them. His book is well-known in certain circle, circles. I've never read the book. I've just read different aspects of his ideas and so on in different places. Okay. Um, so, so the point of what you're asking your question about, you know, will we ever get to that point where you walk into a pharmacy and they know what they're talking about? They better. Um, and in Vancouver is a kind of a unique situation. Um, uh, we have legal medical marijuana at the federal level in Canada, although I think there are only maybe 30,000 or so registered uh, medical users. Um, and we're heading to um toward full legalization uh, sometime within about a year or so for the for the whole country but Vancouver is unique in the sense that we started uh, there were a, there was a compassion club about 20 years ago that the police decided to leave alone and had a lot of success with people with very serious illnesses HIV um, cancer etc and they just decided to leave them alone and they behaved themselves and that gradually spread to the point where, um, we now have, uh, it's actually been cut back a little because, uh, the city has regulated them in the last year or so, but, um, even with that regulation, there are probably about a hundred, uh, dispensaries in Vancouver and they're not legal at the federal level. And we don't have the same kind of state legislation scenarios that you guys have in the states. Um, but the local police just leave them alone and, uh, um, and depending on which one you go to, I'm a member of about three and I go to two in particular and in both those places, they know their medicines. Um, they know a lot about the different uh, strains and the different um, cannabinoids that you, you can have in them, like CBD probably knows getting a lot of attention these days. We're actually just in Calgary. Yeah, but, but of mo-
1: Calgary. most of our oh, listeners oh, are in the, the States. So. Yeah,
4: most of our well, listeners are in the States. I'm actually a card carrier too.
3: Oh, right on! Excellent. Okay, so I'm talking to preaching to the to the choir. Card here. carrying yeah. member, are you too, Michael? A card carrying member? I am. Well, My wife,
4: who loves your book, is also a card carrier.
3: <laughs> oh well, you guys are ahead of me.
1: Uh, I'm just a gray area <laughs> card carrier, <laughs> and I haven't touched it in nine years. Coming up on nine years, so. I'm the opposite on the opposite spectrum. We don't
4: have that kind of freedom here, though. Yet, like I've got to order from very specific people online, unless I want to go through street connections.
7: Yeah, they're struggling to keep up here.
1: You mean with production? No. Oh
7: oh, yeah,
4: with production and Alberta. All all you can do is go through your online, and like the Alberta ones, like out. They've got two different kinds right now. Neither of them are very. They're great if you want high CBD, but they've got really nothing without. All the THC is just being ripped as soon as one comes on if you're not on it within like a couple of
3: hours it's gone wow that's unfortunate yeah we're really spoiled in vancouver that way um i go to a dispensary uh, here that uh, they have a wide uh, array of um, medicines and uh, they have four or five staff in there that are all very knowledgeable they can tell you you know if you come in and say you know kind of what you wanted for They'll bring out three or four and they'll say, OK, this one is, you know, like sixty forty sativa indica or 70, 30. And um, but it's not an edgy sativa, you know, or this one's an indica, but it's not a it's not a really soporific. It's not going to knock you out. You know, um, it's a lighter indica, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, there's a uh, the, the whole CBD thing I'm fascinated by now because there's now California is actually way ahead of us on this one because um, they've been developing uh, CBD-rich strains in various combinations for several years now. But it's coming fairly quickly into British Columbia, in the Vancouver area at least. And, um, you know, so you can go into a dispensary now and you can get a straight CBD in a capsule or a tincture. You can get a, uh, you know, two-to-one uh, THC CBD. You can get a one-to-one. Um or you can, you know, kind of mix and match with different ones to get the ratio you want. It's totally um,
7: designer now. It's mind blowing.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yep. So yes, it's not
7: that, like that, that here.
3: No, no, I'm 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 not surprised. But it
7: maybe it'll come along. I don't know. Alberta needs its own um growers here, which is the yeah. problem. And I guess it's a twelve million startup. Like you have to invest that to get the facility built the right way uh
3: you mean to be a federal licensed producer
7: yeah to pass all to jump through i was talking to someone oh, they were looking into doing it here sorry about that
3: well, well hopefully that'll change uh, uh i think they're going to open that up a lot when they put the legal framework in which probably won't happen until spring 2018 unless they are mm-hmm. you know laying it further yeah.
1: So this is uh, CBD that won't uh, actually get you high, right? Like there's still healing properties in the CBD without the THC?
3: Absolutely, yeah. Um, uh, <clears throat> although um, CBD may have a mild psychoactive effect for some people. In fact, it does have a mild psychoactive, psychoactive effect for some people. But it's pretty mild, I think. Um, that's anecdotal um, uh, evidence from mm-hmm. people heard about
7: it. uh <clears> smile know, try they, the different strains yeah order different things you know pick up different uh, things and the one that's high cbd you don't you don't really get heady high you know you don't get
4: yeah i've heard women say they no. get more body off of it they do they feel yeah. something in their body especially when yeah. they're like um
7: just makes you when feel we were,
4: when we were in right. the states the the chick that was there was like yeah these like cbd cookies when you're on your period are just like yeah perfect amazing
7: that's yeah. right
3: yep Yeah, Yeah, so a lot of people say that um, CBD rich or CBD only strains uh, can be calming. And can be good for various types of aches and pains and so on. However, uh, for your listeners' uh, benefit, if they're not familiar with this whole sort of uh, area of discussion, um, uh, the latest information I'm getting from some pretty knowledgeable people, for example, Martin A. Lee, who's the author of Smoke Signals um, uh, from California, and he's the founder and uh, director, co founder and director of uh, um, Project CBD down there. Um, and he's been up to, Cal- to uh, Vancouver for our spirit Plant medicine conference and another cannabis conference. And um, excuse me, he, uh, he says that uh, um, uh, the strains that are leaning somewhat more t- toward CBD but still have THC in them uh, are uh, particularly effective, that CBD and THC work synergistically together. So um, another fellow, I'm still on the same theme, although it may sound like I'm wandering here, uh, another guy who was at a cannabis conference up here in, um, in the summer called the Cannabis Hemp Conference, uh, Clark Whitfield, I think he's from Georgia or Alabama. He's an MD and he's been prescribing uh, cannabis uh, for uh, helping people get off antidepressants and other reasons, but That's his main focus. Uh, And the way he talks about it, he says if they're uh, what they're now calling cannabis naive is the new term I'm hearing. Yeah, it's a little bit of a weird term because naive almost is like a willful innocence, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Instead of saying cannabis innocent or cannabis, you know, unexperienced, they're saying cannabis naive now. So if he gets a patient coming in who's uh, cannabis naive, he'll start them on a purely CBD strain. Um, uh, but then he'll gradually uh, start introducing strains that have a little bit more THC in them because of this synergistic benefit uh, from combining the two. And Martin A. Lee supports that, that view as well. That if you can get up to... A lot of people are, uh, are working with uh, one-to-one now, actually. Mm-hmm. One-to-one CBD and THC. And again, for your listeners, or maybe even for yourself, if you're not aware of it, um, THC and CBD are the two most prevalent cannabinoids out of over a hundred in the plant and um they trade off like there's only room for you know 100 or x amount of of the two of them combined so the more thc the less room there is for cbd and vice versa um, so uh, a lot of people are now working with one-to-one uh, in fact the uh, the co-owner of this dispensary that i that i'm referring to uh she has an interesting story she's 50 years old she was not a cannabis user until two years ago and she was having pretty severe um menstrual uh issues like wild fluctuations in you know hot and cold and hormonal imbalance and was very uncomfortable for her and someone suggested using cannabis So she started on a one-to-one THC to CBD at a very low dosage. I think it was five milligram capsules, so two and a half milligrams of THC and two and a half of CBD, I think maybe twice a day. And she worked her way up to 10, so five and five. And that's what she does now. I think she does 10 milligrams twice a day. She said, "There's no psychoactive effect. She does this and goes to work and works all day and doesn't notice anything other than the fact that she feels a hell of a lot better than she would if she were not doing it." Yeah, you just get yeah. used to it. Yeah, you got to. That's that's an important thing. You got to kind of work your way up. Uh, there is a tolerance factor or a familiarity factor.
7: So yeah. you yourself, do you microdose? And do you mind I ask what your preferred way of
3: yeah, you can ask anything about my, my cannabis use.
7: Like do you um, like the oils primarily? Are you like a connoisseur or do you vape most or vaporize most?
3: Yeah, I mostly vaporize. Um, I'm toying toying with um well one of the reasons I'm mostly vaporize is because I don't, uh, I, I don't like to take huge amounts of time. Uh, I, I'm not one of these people that wants to be going around under the influence of the plant much of the time. Um, some people are and do, and that's effective for them. And as we, or as I mentioned at the beginning, uh, there are other people who, um, for whom that is not an effective way to live their lives. Uh, uh, for me, um, I I like to take an evening, a couple times a week, maybe. Um, And use it in a, you know, without being too sort of pretentious about it, (laughs) uh, like a more or less spiritual way, you know, where I'll actually get a little gong three times and make it into a kind of a mini ritual. And I'll um, have a couple of puffs on the vaporizer and I'll often meditate, uh, just doing a simple follow the breath meditation, sometimes for 15 or 20 minutes, um, sometimes for pretty much the whole time I'm with it. Um, other times I'll, uh, you know, jot down some notes or I play I play guitar, play my guitar, listen to music a little, that kind of thing. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, but I like the immediate, the immediacy of that, you know, and that it's sort of all over and I can go to bed at midnight and get a decent night's sleep sort of idea. Uh, as you know, um, oral ingestion is takes a lot, up to two hours, actually, in some cases, to come on to full uh, full effects, and then uh, less another three or four before it starts to, you know, leave the system. Basically, so no, I, I, I rarely um, take it orally. Actually, although I people keep giving me things, you know. As I say, there's uh, there's a lot of uh, a lot of product very readily available in Vancouver, and um, uh, you know, I've got like four or five different bottles of um, of tinctures, uh, like. Um, I've got a sativa, a hybrid, an indica, things like that. Um, Somebody gave me some chocolates recently, Uh, that sort of thing. Um, Yeah, so um, is that a partial answer to your question? And then you're
7: also also into, well, I've only watched a couple of your other interviews. And Uh I see that you're also into mushrooms, peyote, ayahuasca, but not alcohol.
3: Oh, I like wine, but I, I don't. Okay, like well,
7: wine's kind of different.
3: Yep. Uh, I, I, yeah, I, you know, alcohol's an interesting one. I used to like it when I was younger, you know, starting at about 14, actually. Um, uh, and I liked it, uh, you know, I mentioned I was kind of shy and inhibited when I was a teenager. You know, alcohol loosens you up, obviously, um, and uh I used to love dancing all through my 20s and early 30s, and I found that if I went to a club and had a couple of drinks, I loosened up more, and I liked it for that. I liked alcohol if I was active. Um, uh, But the older I got, the less interesting I found alcohol, and now as a high, it's really not interesting at all. You know, you you had one drink and just pay attention to it. It's, it gives you a buzz for, what, half an hour, 45 minutes? And I don't even find it a particularly interesting buzz, you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, my wife likes drinking wine with dinner, so we have a glass of wine with dinner. If we have friends for over for dinner, um, I'll sometimes have two glasses of wine, but I don't actually even notice any effect from it, really, you know? And I don't need that disinhibiting effect anymore, so I'm not really drawn to it much, to be well, honest. Well, I
7: agree with you that the two don't really go that well together, and for me, I... I haven't been a drinker for a long time, like you I mean yeah. in high school a little bit or whatever, but uh the when you smoke, it just makes you sick after you drink, so yeah. the two don't really mix, and I wonder how much the alcohol producers are have been in keeping this slow, you know, holding back the whole marijuana thing because Whoa. the more people that smoke, then it's a natural thing that I think you drink less,
3: you know. Yeah, yeah. One of the contributors to the book, uh, Mariano da Silva, the Brazilian ayahuasca shaman, said the 20th century was the century of alcohol and the 21st century is going to be the century of cannabis. Um, And, you know, you see in cultures. uh, And other psychoactive. Yes, indeed. Well, I'm, I'm thinking in this regard, you know, in particular, even as a sort of a social substance, you know, mm-hmm. um, Colorado, for example, where we've now had what, four years, four and a half years or well, four years or so of this uh, legal regime at the state level. Um, uh, I have friends who are who live in Colorado, and they say that you know they're now they're starting to go to cocktail parties where there's no alcohol, and people are serving little drinks with some cannabis That's in
7: exactly them. Exactly my point.
3: Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you know, I'm, I'm not focused on that kind of use in the uh, in the book, of course. None of the contributors are, yeah. um, but in terms of a cultural shift. Uh I think that could be a beneficial cultural shift again, depending on how people use it you know um, any anything can be misused, anything can be used wisely um or almost anything um maybe even a gun um
1: yeah uh, and I appreciate your your um you know your your advice to use it spiritually with reverence and with set and setting i mean, I really wish I would have had that that awareness when I was younger, when I was playing around with it, I mean, I went through periods of, you know, chronic mm. use and then kind of got into other stuff. Not that it's a gateway drug at all, but I mean, I had my struggles with alcohol and harder drugs as well. Um, cool. But uh I, I guess that's, that's part of what I was trying to say is that it still can be an addiction. So it's, I appreciate your, you know, your caution of that and to try and have some spiritual spirituality around it. If you don't mind, yeah.
7: My favorite way of utilizing it currently is uh, to go to yoga, go to yeah. a yoga class and sit for as long 15 minutes prior and just do like Anapana and bring myself into where I am and and meditate and, and then continue the Anapana through the whole class, but then really try and uh, do Metta at the end. And I think if you're using marrow, the cannabis and then doing the yoga and the focus and activating yourself and trying to stay present in like almost Vipassana is difficult. I've sat Vipassana. That's my tradition that I've gotten into. And, uh, I don't know if anyone's familiar with that, but, um, yeah,
3: so it's very similar to the Buddhist basic meditation that I used to do. And, and still I think do.
7: that's really important for people to be doing that and all doing that together right now. And it would make a real strong force of meta energy. Yeah, and and then me. I think I can't wait to read your book, but it, I think I'm going to hear quite a bit of that in this.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, um, there, you know, at the beginning of what you were saying there, you you talked about uh, the cautions, so to speak, or the being cautious, so to speak, um, and a number of the contributors address that. Uh, Kathleen Harrison, uh, chapter one, uh, her, her chapter is called "Who Is She," and um, it's a wonderful uh, piece of writing. I, I I've read it. I've read that whole chapter. Like eight or nine times now, and every single time I read it, I get more out of it. Um, wow. She's a brilliant person, and she's a beautiful writer. And uh, one of the one of the sections in there, she can go on about it for too long, but she talks about how she knows young men in particular. Who um, the way she talks about it is they they. They create this kind of what they consider a safe space for themselves with heavy cannabis use, and they don't want to come out of it uh, back into what she called the daylight world, mm-hmm. uh, you know, of responsibilities and so on. And she she used the term wedded. They become wedded to it, and she meant that metaphor almost quite literally because. She's observed that people become more wedded to the plant than they are to the um, their you know their their mar- their partners you know their their the people that are supposedly close to them in their she's
7: lives. She's a jealous one, Mary Jane.
3: Uh, I, 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 she's very seductive, but you know that's that's a little bit uh, anthrop anthropomorphizing her because oh, yeah. she she doesn't do that. It's we who do that to ourselves. You know, she's well, of she's. Course. Yeah, she's such a. You know, if if she's working well for you at any particular moment, uh, it's such. It can be such a beautiful space to enter, um, uh, enhanced in in multiple ways, and it only stands to reason that who wouldn't want to go back to such a space, you know? And that therein lies the rub, as it were. Mm-hmm. Um, that be, you know, that becomes tricky for people, you know, they want to go back and be in that space. But uh, I wouldn't take this 100% exactly, literally the way I'm saying it. But the way I sit, think of it is um, uh, the more you do that, the less she offers. Uh, she's a tricky gal in that way, yeah. you know. Um, uh, and, um, and then in terms of spiritual use, uh, again, not to draw too tight a line around it, because people use it in different ways. And some people, I mean, it depends on how you define spiritual or spirituality. It can be a pretty wide open definition. If you're just calmer and more open hearted, um, then that's spiritual. Mm-hmm. And some people, um, I think, benefit from cannabis by using it uh, daily, uh, kind of a light uh, high as it were and it just kind of settles them down a little and i don't know i don't think that's problematic for some people particularly more mature people who are actively engaged in life yeah i don't i know people that are like i know I, I know a university professor in the united states he's the head of the religion department at his his university um and uh he um he stays a little bit high through the day. He teaches in that state. Um, And I said, why? And he said, "Uh, it just focuses him in a little more. He connects to the students a little better. So that's all good in my view. However, um, as a number of the contributors point out in the book, um, for what you might call deeper spiritual work, it's probably better to do, to to take the cannabis less frequently um, because of that tolerance slash familiarity effect.
1: Mm
3: -hmm. Uh, Mariano da Silva says that uh, um, uh, the way he uses the plant is um, on the weekend, basically, he'll either meditate with it or he lives in the Brazilian forest and he said he'll go for a walk in the forest and he has what he calls special meditations that he does. Um, and he said he he tries to leave like sort of five to seven days between times. And he said, when you use it with that kind of intention and that kind of skill, um, it can have a, and this is his phrase, a transcendental effect. Um, yeah, I believe very, that. Yeah. And he said, but if I do it every day, I lose that effect altogether. Yeah, oh yeah definitely. I can totally see that.
1: Yeah. So when yeah. when you talk about a non-specific amplifier and an exaggerating a state of mind, is that when is that when you're using that it in balance that that it happens to you all the time, or is that a specific state that happens when you're high?
3: I sorry, I didn't really understand that
1: question. So so like so like it, it being a non-specific amplifier, right? Yeah. Does it is that happening to you? Um, all the time if you're using it in balance or does that happen like does the modifying happen
3: just just being when you're high that's an excellent question um and joan bellow addresses that in the book she's quite brilliant too she has a book called the benefits of marijuana um excuse me and uh uh, the, the way joan talks about it is that it's not so much in the high of the moment that cannabis is spiritually beneficial. It's in gradually um, shifting your sort of locus of attention or the way that you live your life. Um, Because uh, in the moment, again, when it's channeled effectively, uh, it can help you uh, open up, relax, be more present, uh, have deeper insights, Um, it can open up the heart, Um, all very spiritual kind of qualities you could say right Uh, but that leaves when the high is over but when you have those kind of experiences you realize you start to realize ideally anyway i don't know how easily this happens for any given individual but you start to realize that you can live that way Um, you can't do it by having cannabis all the time i don't think you know for those reasons we just talked about it's it's a kind of a, a reconfiguration of uh, how we move through the world. Um, the way I talked in my chapter, the way I think I talked about it in the book, was that um, uh, we're learning to trust um, the immediate experience of being in the now without the overlay of what, again, Buddhist teachings would call a secondhand guesswork of the um, story-creating ego that says, you know, this is true, this is not true, this is real, this is not real, this is good, this is bad, um, I must do this, and I must not do this, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's starting to trust uh, the, our whole body experience in this exact moment. And it, cannabis isn't required to do that, of course, but because of the amplifying effect, it can deepen that with some discipline. Okay.
4: Do you, uh, you, you talked it, earlier about... Um your bowel and your breathing, is that like, uh, do you, do you mind getting a little deeper and like, do you have a, a little ritual that you use as you really start to, you know, take that first token and embrace the, the high?
3: Um, yeah. I'm, I kind of come and go with it. I, I'm looser sometimes than others. And sometimes my intentions are a little different for the way that I use it um, in any given session. But um, I'll often, I have a, a, a small, like, Sort of three inch across uh, t- Tibetan bell or gong, um, and a little you know stick to hit it with. And um, the t- t- typical Tibetan meditation practices would start with three hits on something like that. And um, and then I'll uh, I'll will speak to uh, uh, you know I'll be honest I I I don't know for a fact that there's a spirit of the cannabis plant and we can talk about that. Other people say they have experienced that. I've seen her. Uh, Oh, good for you. Okay, so that's yeah, one more one more bit of evidence there. Um, I just assume that there's something or somebody or some you know like that, um, and I kind of go on that basis um, uh, in terms of treating with respect. And I um, I I'll speak to it. I'll maybe make a little prayer. I'll thank it. You know, uh, Kathleen Harrison is sweet about that in her chapter. She t- talks about um, preparing your space as you would for an honored guest. You know, um, preparing your, your your special pipe and welcoming this plant in as it's, as a guest in your home, so to speak. Um, so, I, yeah, I do a little of that, um, and then uh, I, you know, I have a very active mind in general, um, uh, and naturally a kind of busy mind that I have to work with. Um, so it's challenging. Uh, I you know, I often have to work fairly hard in a sense, to stay present you know stay out of thought as it were, um, but I do do that uh, as much as I can, um sometimes, as I said, for the whole evening we'll kind of, sometimes it'll come and go like what I've started to notice in the last year or two more. It, that's another thing about, not to get sidetracked from what I want to say, but uh, that's another thing about this plant is that um, there's a lot of learning involved in how to really, you know, effectively work with this plant. And it keeps shifting in my life, it does anyway. Um, and lately I've started to notice that <clears throat> in the same way that, uh, I don't know which one of you, and I haven't really quite figured out whose voice belongs to who with you three guys, but... Uh, um, <laughs> Uh, uh, The one of you that was talking about uh, Vipassana.
1: Yeah, yeah. Michael. That's Michael with the high voice, and I'm one with a bit of a lisp, and Darren's the the deep, slow voice. I'll
3: work on that. Too much
7: atrazine where I grew up.
3: So, the way I understand Vipassana, it's not that different from the shamatha practice that I learned, um, following the breath and so on, like that. And uh, uh, so, what I've started to notice with the cannabis is that. I'll go off into uh, a, a kind of like a, a thought um, box or picture of some kind a scene um, and I'll and I'll live live in there for a while uh, and then at a certain point I'll it'll feel like it has a completion and I'll uh, just drop it and come back to the breath and come back to being present. It can be anything. It can be an idea for something I'm writing. It can be sometimes uh, I I rehearse conversations that I want to have with people that are sort of more challenging or more interesting. Things that that need to be uh, expressed clearly, you know, and I'll sometimes rehearse the kind of things that I I want to say when I when I'm going to be getting together with that person later, you know, Um, just to kind of, you know, get clear with myself that way um and the cannabis seems to really help with that in my in my view it seems to clarify thought that way i agree uh, yeah uh and then i'll come back and go oh yeah that that one's over for now maybe that took five minutes or so i don't know but uh, um and then i come back and sit with it for a while again uh and then something else will come up later um uh, right. i often try not to go some people actually some creative people and that's addressed uh a little bit in the book, uh, cannabis as a creative, uh, ally or an ally for creative work. Um, some people can, uh, work, uh, in, in the embrace of the plant, uh, ex- you know, in an extended way, like writers and so on can, some writers I know can do that. In fact, the guy, Floyd uh, Floyd Salas who writes, uh, in the, uh, a chapter in the book. That's the way he writes. He writes high. Um, uh personally I, I don't that doesn't really work too well for me uh is it maybe, good uh, say what
7: what he writes is it good
3: ah, good question <laughs> uh, um, i haven't read anything else he's written to be honest um he there's he does have two poems in the uh, in the in the book that are quite quite lovely, um, and I I like the way he wrote in the book. Uh, you know, his chapter I like. Uh, he's he's won a number of awards for his novels. Um, uh, he's he's a successful writer from California. Um, yeah, I have yeah. never I've cool. never heard of him before, but uh, but yeah, he's he he, he in his bio he listed uh, several uh, fairly major awards. You know, nothing at the level of a Pulitzer Prize, but it so you know, works
7: for him. I have some of my best ideas come in the first 15, 20 minutes after smoking.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, That's when it's freshest. Isn't it? Yeah. 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 So, so for myself, um, it doesn't usually work. I I tend to get bogged down and I know other writers that, that are Martin Ball uh, is similar. He doesn't write high. Um, uh, um, and he, he loves the plant. He uses it a lot, but he doesn't write high because he just, he tends to get bogged down in all the different options and possibilities and stuff like that. Um, uh, some, some functions don't, or some brain functions don't work as well under the influence of campus cannabis, cannabis, I would say.
7: Left brain um, so doesn't work so good. But, yeah. But so, right so brain, it's all right brain for me.
3: Yeah, indeed. Yeah. Um, uh, so linear, you know, there's another, um, uh, Mentioned in the book, um, I think it's in my chapter on cannabis and creativity, I quoted a fellow who's using a, a pseudonym of Herb Garden, he calls himself. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah. he says that he's... Uh, uh, I got this off of um, Lester Grinspoon's uh, uh, website that he had collected testimonials uh, by people who use cannabis uh, in effective ways. And this fellow says he's a composer who has written for many ma- or a number of major orchestras in the United States. And he has a list that I put in the book of the things that Work well with uh, cannabis and the things that don't and uh, and they do tend to break down on the left brain right brain kind of dichotomy uh, for example he, he says that um, improvisations of less than two minutes work fairly well uh, but not longer and uh, as i say i play music and uh, uh, i've noticed that uh, yeah it's really interesting I, I wrote about it a little bit in, the, in that chapter i think um, in my chapter about that uh, um I, I kind of sometimes think that with cannabis and doing something like playing guitar or whatever, probably depends on your, on your level of chops. Like I, my chops aren't a hundred percent fluid, uh, um, you know, in terms of improvising, um, I don't play enough. Um, yeah. you know, you know, for somebody who, who, who their technique is a non-issue, you know, like a, a world-class master of their instrument, you know, it might be different. I'm not really sure about that. It might get you into the flow state. Yeah. I found it, I
4: found it easier to create music, but then it's just the next time you go to play it, it's gone. Like I found like you almost need, you need to have a recorder if you're doing it seriously, because it's like, you know I mean? The (laughs) same things happen even when you're not smoking, when you're, if you're writing music, like if you, if, that's why uh, my rule is: if you find it, make something you really like. You, I'll just sit there and play it over and over, like twenty times in a row. And then sometimes you still, it just falls oh. into the ether.
1: Yeah, we used to play hockey on it quite a bit. Like I used to, I got into a habit where I'd play like slightly baked, and and I mean, it, you know, you'd start the game off and you'd make some amazing plays, and the next thing you know, you're just getting high for every game, but I mean, it was definitely performance enhancing in a lot of ways. Like we, we, you know, it was,
3: it was pretty crazy.
7: Yeah, I guess a lot of people are using it for that now. Really? Yeah.
3: Yeah.
7: Long distance runners.
3: So Ross Reveliati did did game the system after. Oh all, yeah, dude. right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's what I was what saying was the, back then. The yeah, right? and I
1: was saying that back then. I mean, because we used to just play sports on it all the time, and I mean, you get into that flow state a little simpler. Like if you're good enough at your sport, where it comes automatically, I think that helps.
3: Yeah, I was trying to allude to that in, in, in what I was writing yeah. uh, in in that section of the book uh, that if you if you know your your if you've got your technique down really well in whatever it is you're doing it's the cannabis is more likely to be uh, uh, an assistant uh, in that regard because because you don't have to tap back into that other side of the brain particularly so the way that uh, I think I mentioned this in the book is that I. sometimes feel like it's a you're either on the bus or you're off the bus scenario if i'm not really connecting well with that flow my playing will generally be worse than if i was straight Um, but then as uh, one of you mentioned there a moment ago uh, uh, you get into that flow um, and then sometimes it just you know takes you to places where you just go wow and and that's not just the illusion of the extra shine that the plant puts on it it really is like that um my buddy adrian and I, I again i mentioned this briefly in the book um actually um <laughs> scratch that last uh, i've used a pseudonym for him in the book aden <laughs> uh, I, per- I, I didn't have his permission to use uh, his name in the book i didn't ask him actually um so Aiden and i uh, get together on the weekends and uh, I was saying that I usually use cannabis about twice a week and it's typically uh once of the one of those if Aiden, if Aiden is coming over uh one of those is just me alone in the way that I described but uh is Aiden, that the pseudonym now <laughs> whatever the, that Aiden. is the pseudonym okay yes. so I don't have to bleep the Aidens okay uh, no, he, yeah Aiden is the pseudonym anyway uh um uh he he's a lover of the cannabis plant, and we like to play music under the influence. And we, we actually make that into a ritual, too. We use the gong for that, and we state prayers. We make little dedications. We bring in people that we want to send positive uh, uh, feelings or thoughts to. And we sit for three or four or five minutes before we have a couple of puffs. And then we sit for another five to ten minutes after we have a a couple of puffs. Then we play music for a while and um, often have a top-up about an hour later and go through that ritual again. Um, But um, uh, what I noticed in those circumstances with him is that uh, sometimes it takes me a while to get into that flow. uh, But when I do, it gets really interesting sometimes. And we've had moments together that... Uh, I'm pretty sure we never would have come close to uh, without the influence of the cannabis plant. Uh, there was one. We, we, we tend to pick quite simple songs because you know our chops are somewhat limited, and uh, we don't want to have to be thinking about a lot of chord changes. So we we tend to pick songs that have three or four chords and are fairly repetitive that way, so we can stretch out both vocally and on the guitars and we've had moments where there was this one song um where we started improvising vocally together uh just freeform like there was no plan to it just over this four chord song and we got into falsetto range and um there was a moment where I could have—I just felt, just for like a second or two, I just felt this presence there. Um, like this, it felt kind of like a white light, almost like a white angelic presence up uh, above me, to, and to the side, and uh, uh, it didn't last long. And then we continued to do that for another couple of minutes, and I didn't stop because I didn't want to interrupt what we were doing. But when we stopped, I mentioned it to Aiden, and he said, "And, and you know." I'm, I I I could I was able to describe about what we were doing and where we were in the song at that point. And he said, yes, at that exact moment, I had that exact same experience. It's like a, a meta event happened that transcended anything individual between us, you know?
7: The Guardian the Lions. Guardians. Whatever. Yeah, the yeah. Lions, they liked the music when you play. Oh, mm,
3: yeah. Actually, uh, I just... Uh, You know, in terms of that little anecdote and the fact that we were singing really high in falsetto, uh, uh, I was really interested. I came upon something just the other day from an indigenous uh, spiritual uh, person saying that the the spirits um, like high notes. Mm. Yeah, that was very interesting, like high singing or whatever. High pitches. High frequency. High...
4: Oh, that's good. That's way higher than I can go. Yeah. Is that
1: your Yoko Ono impression? Yeah.
3: <laughs> I'm more of the baritone. No, I, I think she chased away a few spirits. Actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, it's interesting that the Native Americans and Canadians often sing really high in those powwow songs. Wow, they're way up there. Oh, you know? yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that's that.
1: Cool. So what about this? Go ahead, Darren. Go ahead. No, you go ahead.
4: What about um uh, you've got uh, there's a couple chapters in the book on growing and the different sort of techniques you can use when you're when you're growing to to help your plants along spiritually?
3: Yeah, I think there's only one chapter in there on that and it's from a fellow and uh, another anonymous one who uh um, is over in Europe and in a place where it's not legal, and he's been doing it for a long time uh, under those circumstances. So he just uses the handle LLP, which I never say what that is in the book, but he actually says it means lo- love, light, power. Um, nice. And uh, uh, I think he also has another pseudonym, which I didn't bother using. It uh, Keith Sunshine. <laughs> something like that. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, it's just the one chapter. and uh, uh, yeah he it's quite simple. it's not not a lot of technique specifically. It's not an instructional chapter. It's more of an inspirational chapter. It's very simple. he's not a he's not really a writer. He's just a um, very kind of humble. Um, very reverent guy who's always taken a sacred what what he would call a sacred attitude toward his plans. And he said the first thing is you got to love them. You know, they respond to that, um, uh, and you know have an intention what you want to do with them, and just and then go from there and just really look after them well. Uh, you know, give them all they need. Give them the right kind of nutrients. Give them the right kind of light. You know, he, he talked He does talk a little bit about technique uh, with some things like water. He's big on water. He thinks you know it makes a difference if you give them really good quality water. Not necessarily. You you can use tap water, but if you can give them like you know balanced uh, alkaline acidic, you know, or natural even natural spring water, natural spring water, whatever you know, some really good quality water. Uh, he believes can make a difference, but he definitely is convinced that that your attitude uh, makes a difference. Actually, there is a, a little bit of reference from uh, Sean and Steve, who are the chapter called um, I think it's called uh, "Conversation with Two Medicine Shamans," um, and uh, they're quite remarkable uh, guys that uh, have been leading uh, entheogenic. Uh, sacramental plant ceremonies for i don't know 20 30 40 years uh they're really, really experienced really wise i would say I, I know them quite well i coordinate uh iboga ceremonies for them out here on the west coast they, they come from england every year to do that and so i spend a lot of time with them when they're here and i sit in the ceremonies with them and i assist at them and i cook for them and all that sort of thing and uh i watch the way they use cannabis and They're really masterful with it. Uh, Steve says in the interview, he says uh, that it's um, uh, like looking through a window um, uh, into a space that you couldn't see before. He didn't say that part of it. He just says looking through a window. And he said it just opens a whole bunch of things up when they're working in ceremony. Um, But uh, regarding what we were just saying about growing, he said they both feel that ideally they're only going to smoke... um, Material that they either knew the grower directly, um, or they get it from somebody that they that secondhand. He he or she got it from a grower that they trust had that sacred attitude, and they trust that person, and they claim that they can tell uh, right away uh, the state of mind of the of the person who grew the plant. Wow!
1: Wow!
3: Yeah, uh, I, bet that's yeah I bet that's true. Yeah. So I think that's yeah, a really exciting area you know, as we move into a legal framework in many countries, of course, is, and it's already happening. You know, I, I kind of wish that I'd had greater access to, uh, to more people who have already been doing that because I'm sure they're out there. Um, I just didn't meet them particularly. And I did hear about, uh, meet this fellow or hear about him. I never did meet him face to face. I just, it was through email, but, um, I'm sure there are people who do understand that really well. Uh, that issue of how you relate with the plants and the effect that it has. Um, this the same guy as LLP says that uh, when he introduces his plants or shares them with friends, um, uh, they can tell right away. You know, it's a it's a you know very different kind of experience than a lot of the stuff that they're used to smoking. Much more sublime, much sweeter. Does the country he's in start with a C? Uh, no. <laughs> no. Okay. okay. This is twenty questions. Um, no, it doesn't. He's in the I'll say he's in the British Isles. He's in the greater Great Britain, uh, but I don't even know where. He's not. He didn't even tell me where he lives. Our our guest is going to be Rick Simpson. <laughs> uh, yes. No. I know. I know who Rick Simpson is. I've never met him, but I do know that he's uh, kind of the pioneer for the Phoenix Tears thing. Yeah. Also yeah, a fellow also, Canadian. Uh, uh-huh. Yes, I know that he's from Canada. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um what uh in your research of putting the
4: book together, what uh other than obviously Jamaica is kind of the the go-to when people think of religions, you know, more closely tied with the plant, did you find any other? Obviously, there's probably a few in India, I'm assuming.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um uh and the, and the the Rastafarian uh, tradition in um, in Jamaica is is quite recent, relatively speaking. Uh, I, if I'm not mistaken, there, so there's a chapter in there uh, in the book by Jeff Brown, who was a member of um, um, a Rasta church called the Ethiopian Zion Coptic Church in Jamaica. Um, And they were somewhat different from some of the other Rasta churches. Uh, But um, basically, it seems like uh, it didn't really take hold in Jamaica until the 1800s, I think. Um, uh, So it's relatively recent. Um, uh, In fact, the Rastafarianism itself didn't uh, start until, I think, 1930, uh, started by a fellow named Marcus Garvey. Um, Whereas India... Oh, and by the way, uh, uh, if we have time, we might want to come back to a question you asked me right at the beginning, which I never really got to, which was what was sort of the uh, genesis of this project. Um, we got off in the d- different directions, and I never really answered that question. But as far as this question goes, um, uh, uh, well, one of the chapters in the book is um, called Venerable Traditions by Chris Bennett who's um, uh, well-known in, in the circles who know about these things, a uh, historian of cannabis in ritual, religion, and magic. And uh, he's really done his homework and knows a lot about this and does a kind of a cursory survey of uh, cannabis's historical use, particularly in the Middle East and Asia. He doesn't really go into Africa, where there's actually a long tradition as well. Um, but it, it goes way back. Um, and uh, There's... Uh, they have found um, cannabis uh, residue, seeds, things like that, in the grave sites of shamans uh, from the Neolithic era, which is, we're talking 7,500 years ago. Um, so it's old, and that's just what we know, you know. Uh, The the lineage that cannabis comes from is uh, is, um, estimated to be somewhere between 30 and 90 million years old on this planet. So um, basically, it was around before humans ever showed up or pretty much from the beginning. Uh, And it's, you know, as I was saying earlier, that there have been many cultures on this planet that know the plants in their environment extremely new, extremely well. And... um, uh, so it seems kind of a no-brainer to uh, hypothesize that anywhere humans lived, they would have known what the plants in their region would, were capable of. Uh, so um, it almost seems certain, even though there isn't archaeological evidence that can- cannabis would have been used for a variety of purposes from the dawn of, of humanity. You know, uh, we do know that it goes back about ten thousand years in China. There's not a lot of record uh, of its spiritual use at that time. There is, as you get closer to the Christian era, um, India. We know that it goes back at least pre-Christian, at least you know to 500 or 1,000 uh, BC, uh, or they now call it BCE before the Christian era. Um, uh, and uh, uh, so there's perhaps a 2,000 year, uh, two to three thousand year Relatively well-known history of spiritual use of cannabis in India. The sadhus, uh, certain traditions of the sadhus, certain lineages of the sadhus, uh, are still using cannabis. Uh, uh, the god uh, Shiva is considered the lord of bhang, um, mm-hmm. and actually, one of the oh, there's a great chapter in the book by Satyan Raja, who led a group or has led groups uh, on uh, sacred pilgrimages uh, to various places. And he took a group of people to the, what's known as the Kumbh Mela um, in India, which is, uh, it happens in four different places. And in each of those places, it happens once every four years, I think. And it's the largest human gathering anywhere. Uh, at uh, In total, the one that he went to in 2013 Uh, It was estimated to have had between 100 and 150 million people attended. They just spread out and they camp and they stay there for a month or six weeks or whatever. And he was introduced into uh, uh, the inner circles of sadhu use. And these people claim that they are the original progenitors of Hinduism from a couple thousand years ago or more. And they've had this uh, continual... Uh, lineage of uh, ganja use ever since, you know. So, yes, there is a widespread in ancient history on this planet. Uh, this book I've been reading recently called Sacred Bliss by Mark Ferreira is another book on the history. And he uh, just read last night that um, uh, it took hold, cannabis took hold in Ethiopia uh in the early christian era and from there i think if i got it correct spread throughout africa so it was fairly early on in the in the christian era that um that uh, cannabis spread throughout africa and has been used by uh, for you know a wide variety of purposes including um healing and shamanism and that sort of thing since so yes it's been around uh it's been in the americas for at least since the europeans came because they brought it with them and in fact that neolithic uh um find that i mentioned of the uh uh, seeds in the uh, in the grave site uh was in the ukraine um so um this planet has been with this plant has been with us a long time i I think we are very intimately intertwined with this plant.
1: How, how, long, how, long, how old was that Neolithic was that? find
3: again? 1,500 years ago, so 5,500 BCE. Wow, wow. And that's, as I say, that's just what we know from archaeological findings. There's no reason to think it just started right then, you know. Um, and and again, why wouldn't people have found out about it? Um I mean, they certainly found out about all its other uses fairly early on. The Chinese, as I said, were using it for, you know, everything, paper, clothing, rope, medicines of all kinds, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so it stands to reason that it would be almost impossible to miss. its I mean, if you were using it as a medicine, you'd be going, hmm, I feel different.
4: Or if you walk if you by you in a bush and smelt it, <laughs>
3: you'd be like, wow, what's that? <laughs> yeah, I think I'll try some of that. See what happens. Yeah, yeah. Well,
4: we, so, now's as good a time as I ever to circle back around to the to the Genesis story, I suppose.
3: Right. So, yes, um, uh, I uh, I've been involved with entheogenic substances for quite a long time. Um, I also co-organized the, this conference in Vancouver in its sixth year now, called the Spirit Plant Medicine Conference, where our mission is to address uh, issues related to. Um, how to use uh, entheogens spiritually, basically, and for healing purposes. Uh, So I've been involved in that for six years or so. And um, my main kind of area of focus has been getting presenters for the conference, finding them and working with them and so on. And this Kathleen Harrison that I mentioned earlier, who who wrote chapter one in in the Cannabis and Spirituality book, uh, came in 2012, and i hung out with her some somewhat actually we spent uh, the whole day together on the day after the conference she wanted to see what was going on in the mushrooms she's a mushroom person as well growing in vancouver at that time end of October is prime mushroom season for many varieties actually so we hung out all day and uh at that point i'd been thinking that you know while cannabis is spreading so rapidly around the planet Uh, gaining legal recognition, gaining a lot of recognition for its medicinal benefits, and so on and so on. This one area wasn't really being talked about or practiced to any great extent, particularly in the West. You know, as we've said, there's traditions from other parts of the world that are still extant. But um, very few people were really thinking about cannabis as a spiritual medicine. And I felt that that needed to be readdressed or redressed. Uh, so I mentioned this to Kathleen, uh, while we were going around that day that I've been thinking about doing something with it, but I wasn't quite sure what, because I didn't think I had a whole book in, in me just for me to write a whole book on that. I just didn't know enough about it. Um, because my intention always was, uh, not to make it a historical document uh you know not to make it an academic document i wanted it to be a hands-on kind of practical usable source for people going forward you know eyes on the future so to speak um eyes on the present and future and so I, i mentioned this to kathleen and she uh she said well I, I said, I didn't know you know, quite where I was going to go with that. And she said, well, you know, I think that would be a really important book, and if you write it, I'll contribute to it. Well, I love Kathleen Harrison. She's an amazing human being, and she's a beautiful writer, although she's never written a book. She's written several essays in other people's books, and I've always loved her writing. And so when she said that, a light went off in my head, and I thought, okay, let's do it. Um, and then from there, I just managed to find 17 Altogether, uh, contributors uh, for, to write at ver- on various aspects of the book, and that unfolded over a three to four year period, uh, and led to
1: now. Was there anything? Was there anything that you learned uh, during this process that you didn't sort of know before or, or didn't think of? Hmm,
3: I've forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> um, well i'm not 100 percent sure except as i mentioned a while back there uh it's been an ongoing shifting process i've become more disciplined about it uh about my use of the plant um although i've always for a long long time tended to prefer um a more contemplative way of doing it um but say i don't know 15 years ago i i was more likely to uh be uh well as my friends have gotten older they've lost interest in it most of them the ones that i we used to hang out with for christmas dinner parties for example you know they didn't really want to smoke you know in those kind of situations anymore uh but you know that's the kind of situation where we would we'd have a couple of glasses of wine and then after dinner the joint would pass around that kind of thing right i i don't really do that now or rarely um uh and at that time my favorite thing to do with cannabis generally was to uh, put some headphones on and listen to some great music um uh and that's changed over the years and i'm i'm i oftentimes i'll be sitting in these little sort of you know solo ceremonies that i mentioned earlier and i'll be thinking oh you know this is a beautiful space i really like the space i'm in right now uh it'd be great to have some music you know and then i kind of think you know what I don't really need to put anything else in my brain, in my mind. I can just be present here, you know? And so oftentimes I would just let it go. I wouldn't, I wouldn't put any music on and just sit with it. Um,
7: yeah. But yeah, sometimes was, you've got to listen, I, listen to Pink Floyd's Uma Guma. Uh, you know? Sometimes yeah, well, it's just got to be done again.
3: Oh sure, I mean, I no, I'm, I'm not saying I don't. I I definitely still do uh, do that. And, but I hear uh, you. The
7: sound of silence is becoming more and more appealing in today's world of too many
3: devices. Absolutely, and hopefully that will be understood more and more deeply. And it it, it does get mentioned a lot in the book. I I, I particularly. Keep talking about that. Um, as I mentioned earlier, it's a challenge for me. It's you know maybe I'm even biased toward silence because of that. You know that it's a challenge, but on the other hand, I just keep coming across that notion everywhere in the in the teachings. You know, in the Buddhist teachings and Native American teachings, it's like reality happens when you get out of your head right? Um, the, the, the world unfolds, the divine unfolds when we step out of our our little cells, so to speak. Even if we can do that for a few minutes, uh, remarkable things can happen, particularly, again, with the uh, amplifying assistance of the plant that way. It can deepen those moments. In the book, I mentioned that it can sometimes be more challenging to meditate with cannabis than without it because of this stimulating, uh, stimulating property, you know, that's you know, the great ideas thing that one of you mentioned earlier in the 15 minute, you know, opening era. Yeah, for me, yeah. it doesn't,
7: it's hard to meditate on. Other well, it, than... is.
3: it is, but, but, but also, um, even if the gap isn't all that long, you know, or it can seem like it's not that long, uh, that can be very beneficial just to step into that gap, even for a short period of time. Definitely. Definitely. Um, actually, uh, I. I I tend to want to push the push the, the you know the monkey along so to speak. Um, so I I think in the book I say that it, it, it can often be beneficial to do the the meditating in the early part of it uh, because that's when it's sharpest and potentially then the deepest. But that's also when it's the most challenging. D. so who has a chapter in the book called Ganja Yoga, and is actually mm-hmm. getting very well-known for that work now in fact she's got a book coming out with harbor one in the spring uh, on ganji yoga yeah, cool. um, she leads ganji yoga ceremonies down in the san francisco bay area and um she mentions in her chapter that uh that it, it might be better to do your meditation later once the once the the edge has softened you know mm-hmm. so you know it's just a matter of experimenting um i think personally it's worth challenging the challenge as it were uh uh, of doing of doing your meditating uh early in the session when things are really sharp um i think there's a potential for going deeper now, all this has been premised on the the idea of of, of taking it through inhalation, either smoking or vaporizing. Uh, as you guys know, I'm sure, when you take it orally, it's a whole different scenario. It can take up to two hours to peak and last for several more hours, and it can go a lot deeper as well. Um, almost everybody who's, who's uh, done much oral ingestion of cannabis says, some sort of horror story about doing too much you know um, yeah, but again yeah. that comes to how you challenge that channel that energy right so that's actually kind of that's a core a certain certain setting, setting right certain setting and experience and courage and willingness to surrender um uh, all those things come into play just in the same way as they do with the other entheogens you know that's what they say about ayahuasca you're not really going to get anything from ayahuasca unless you uh, totally surrender to it you know um, in the Native American church where they use peyote they they, they talk about uh, they say watch out for head traffic you know I mm-hmm. like that little mm-hmm. phrase, head traffic you know it's a, an easy thing to remember watch out for head traffic um, and 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 basically the same just you know so-called straight meditation you know is is um, you' you're wanting to open up a gap. In the continual stream of discursive thinking mind that is the uh, ego's primary strategy for creating a a wall or a veil between oneself and uh, unconditioned reality. So, um, yes, silence, uh, inner silence, even if you're moving— I mean, the reason, they have, the reason the great traditions like Buddhism teach uh, a simple sit down, shut up and pay attention meditation is because the less external distraction there is, the greater the chance uh, of experiencing that gap uh, in a simple, uh, pure, kind of clear, clean way. But if you can go for a walk in the woods alone or with somebody that you don't feel you have to get chatting with and um, just, you know, again, shut up so to speak and pay attention uh that same inner silence can uh infuse you know your being in that kind of circumstance and again yoga as we've been talking about and maybe even hockey yeah Yeah. (laughs) and podcasting you know brain chemistry is so interesting you got to wonder you know, if the, the cannabinoid, the endo, in, inner cannabinoid system is functioning in a certain particular way with some of these, you know, remarkable athletes, uh, um, uh, you, you guys are aware that uh, that for a lot of people, um, cannabis seems to stretch out time, slow things down. Yeah. 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 So um, I've read descriptions by people like Mario Lemieux, uh, where he says uh, that when he's got the puck, I don't know if that happened to him all the time, but I think it happened to him a lot. He said, "Everything slows down. Everything starts to go in slow motion, and he has plenty of time to see what's going on and what he needs to do." You know, whereas to the the observer, it looks it's all happening at lightning speed. And if it were me, because I was a lousy hockey player as a kid, it was even too fast to cope with, basically. But um, it's almost as if there's something going on with those the brains of people like that uh, that they're, you know, sort of highly cannabinized somehow, you know, in the endocannabinoid system. Yeah, they can like, yeah, maybe
4: adrenaline switches that. on something that, you know, a certain strain of marijuana is turning on in someone
3: else. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, uh, it's been said or speculated that uh, the endocannabinoid receptor system is the most prominent receptor system in our bodies. Uh, there are a lot of ways in which uh, uh, what we even without an exocannabinoid, namely cannabis, um, and actually other plants have canna- cannabinoids too, apparently, um, but even without uh, taking in any cannabis, um, we have this cannabinoid system, which is extensive in the brain and the nervous system and so on, and the organs. Um, and uh, some people have written about how uh, different people have different levels of, uh, of cannabinoid action in their bodies, just naturally and uh, And that there's some interesting studies on how that affects the way those people function,
1: yeah, it would be really interesting to see if they were creative more you know more creative types or or good at sports or like what sort of attributes they
3: have yeah well I you know I'm, I'm very excited about where this is all going and it's not just about cannabis, it's not you know there's no dogma here. it's not like oh goody, my thing is sort of you know you know, taking off like a rocket. Um, uh, I think our whole understanding of uh, brain, brain chemistry, mind altogether, and um, our relationships to plants, our relationship as a species to plants and planet, but, but plants in particular is um, is expanding very, very quickly in certain circles these days, and I think we're going to see a lot of exciting work. Um, lots of people are reading all these really interesting books now. I mean, I'm reading a book uh, called The Hidden Life of Trees, you know, and um, uh, it's, 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 it's written by this German forester who's lived in the forest and managed forests his whole life for 40 years or so, and this, the stuff that's in there about what trees are capable of doing is just astonishing. Sometimes, you know, like you could take—he worked with the, the uh, tree called the beech, you know, beech trees a lot, and he said, you know, there were there would be forests of beech where different parts of the forest were in different ki- kinds of terrain some of which was very fertile and moist and got a lot of sunlight, and others were rocky and hard and didn't get a lot of water and so on. So some of it would grow way faster than other parts. And, um, and what happens over time in a beach forest is that uh, the strong ones, the ones that are growing fast, share their nutrients through a, an underground network that's actually mushrooms come into this because the mycelial network helps transport that, um, those nutrients when the tree's roots don't go far enough to connect to another tree. Um, but they'll actually be conscious of what's going on way the hell over in this other part of the forest. And they'll share their nutrients with the with the weaker trees so that over time what happens is all the beech trees in that forest grow at the same rate. Now, that's an astonishing level of intelligence. And it's in every aspect of nature. So I think that's that area that i'm just kind of you know roughly dancing around there is a super exciting kind of edge of uh human understanding um and and you might even say essential because if we don't get our relationship to the planet straight you know relatively quickly we're fucked anyway yeah yeah
1: Yeah. i was gonna say there must be an overall excitement in the community as well for the legalization that's happening in the south like now even i mean there's been there hasn't been a lot of attention paid to it since the last election but there's definitely way more states i mean it's happening pretty quick it's it's becoming fairly accepted it's on the ballot at least
3: yeah it's um yeah it's kind of a snowball that's uh you know accumulating and it's you know it's going to be very hard for it to be stopped uh, unfortunately the The feds are the laggards in the states at this point, you know, Um, but, uh, you know, Americans have this wonderful rebellious quality and and their structure has been set up to have strong states' rights. So states have these ways of creating laws that are that can be overridden by the feds, but um, they often get away with it, too. You know, hence Colorado, Washington, California, Alaska and so on. Um, so, yeah, um, Canada, I'm really excited about what's going on in Canada. I just sure hope they don't, you know, kind of get overcautious with all this. The, the task uh, force that just uh, tabled their report several weeks ago uh, was very impressive, um, surprisingly so. Uh, I heard interviews with some of the major players in the field uh, that have been advocating for cannabis for a long time, people like Dana Larson and the lawyer Kirk Tussa, um, even Mark Emery, the bad boy, you know, um, yeah. who never really has a kind thing to say about any kind of authority. Um, was saying like the head of this uh, task force is Ann McClellan, and he said, "I never thought I'd agree with Ann McClellan." Um, uh, so if they. I mean, there's a very serious bunch of people this task force. You know, they're they're heavy hitters. They're not a bunch of flakes or anything. And um, I'm really hoping the government takes them seriously, because if they follow through on, on their recommendations, uh, they're pretty good. Um, they're going to encourage smaller players at every level, from the growing to the distribution to the retailing. They're going to, um, they're saying they're going to uh, allow, they want to allow um, people to grow their own, which to me, is a wonderful way to help uh, keep costs down for people and also to help uh, keep it in an environment where um, corporations aren't going to be able to take control of it and squeeze it into sort of monolithic, you know, power-hungry <laughs> Coca-Cola, you know, Nestle kind of scenario. Um, uh um, yeah, they're they're looking at the dispensary model as a good way to distribute. Like that, your question way back at the beginning about pharma, are we going to have a pharmaceutical or pharmacy based kind of system where people know what they're doing? Um, I think there's reason to be hopeful, and I just hope the government doesn't chicken out uh, on doing this in face of you know opposition or sinking poll numbers or um, idiots from Trump's cabinet. Uh, threatening them or something hopefully, hopefully
4: yeah. that aspect yeah. of being able to <laughs> exactly. grow it yourself can can open up the way because i'm that's what i'm hoping to see is it go more the way of the, like the wine market and the artisan market so it's not just you know three different companies that are making all the pot in canada and you know they, they've got a couple different strains or ways to go but that's about it i'm hoping it's like you know ma and paul all over the place and if you know if 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 Myself, or you know, me and a group of friends decide we want to take a crack of it, or we can go, you know, go through some loopholes that aren't retarded, you know, be able to go through some easy things that don't cost you too much money and just try your craft at a little, a little grow shop or something.
7: Well, if you want to make like something now, from what I understand in Canada, if you want to make something, you know, whatever, or you pick clovers on the side of the road and you dry them and sell them as a tea and you say, this is clover to make tea with or something. If you say it in a certain way that this will, they have tons of triggers, then you have to either pull it or you have to pay like a million dollars to get it regulated so that you can sell it for each of your products. Like it's a lot of money. So weed has got to be that way. Like if they make it to where everyone can grow, like you're saying, it becomes like a wine market, then I don't know. There's, it's going to be interesting to watch. We've come a long way.
3: Yes. Well, um, you know, they are saying just to be clear, growing it for yourself. They're not. They're not saying that you know just anyone's going to be able to grow it. And yeah, sell. I understand that totally. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I think there'll be some fairly rigorous uh, um, legislation in uh, in place for anyone who's planning on selling it, and, and I'm not opposed to that particularly. <laughs> Although, ironically, in Vancouver. Pretty much everything's working fine the way it is. If they just left us alone the way they're leaving us alone now, we're probably gonna we'd probably be fine, you know. Um, but um, there is, you know, like the Globe and Mail did this study a couple of months ago where they tested—I forget whether thirteen or seventeen—different samples from, you know, different, um, uh, you know, retail outlets. And they found um, unacceptable levels of mold and other contaminants in a number of them. They found that the claimed percentage of THC was bullshit in a number of them. So um, I don't really have a problem with uh, with inspection and um, uh, you know making sure that people um, uh, what they claim is true and that the product is healthy. I mean, I'd like to see. You know, we have organic certification. You know, f- federal or provincial—I'm not sure which—for produce, right? You know, you can buy organic apples and organic r- red peppers and so on. So uh, why not for cannabis? You know, I'd like to be able to go into my shop and know that this has been inspected and it's in, been grown—it's been grown organically. I think
7: the main no, reason I mean, there is because it's it just can't keep up right now. They they have too much of a demand, and uh, so they're allowed to get by with cutting corners because i agree with you i mean i've only had my card for a little while and i was i don't know probably like everybody you're a little maybe excited at first (laughs) i was kind of leery but um it it wasn't it's not as you know it's not being cured properly and there's certainly no love to it like you were saying Uh i mean there's some i shouldn't say that there's some but it's more of a It's a, and I think mine's coming out of the Hershey plant, like you were talking about, you know. So that's (laughs) probably part of it. But that's how I've always been. You kind of you start at the bottom and then work your way up, I guess. But yeah, it's not that they're the bottom. It's a great company.
3: Yeah, I I think having a legal regime uh, is going to be good for Canada Um, and. You know, it's going to be an example for the world if it's done right, too. Even even if it's got weaknesses, it's still going to be an example. It's going to push the whole thing along with other countries, too. I and think. then it'll and get that, better. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it'll continue to get better. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you know, uh, Justin Trudeau uh, is coming from a, a harm reduction point of view, which is sort of like mom and apple pie. You can't argue with his two main points, which is we want to protect our children and keep the, you know, the 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 sale, et cetera, growing and sale out of the hands of criminals. So who can argue with that? But it's a very limited perspective too. Because it's, it's a harm reduction perspective. It's not a, a potential benefits uh, perspective, right? And I don't blame him for it, you know. That's where we're starting. But I, I, I would hope that within five or ten years, and I, you know, hope in some humble way or small way that this book would contribute a little bit to that too, uh, that, you know, uh, the understanding will have spread more widely into the culture that uh, there, you know, well, it's already there for medicinal use, um, but, you know, we're just kind of contributing to the um, hopeful understanding that uh, the plant has spiritual benefits as well. And it's not. You know we're not just legalizing it to you know from a harm reduction point of view we're legalizing it because it should be legal it should be accessible to people i've called it the people's plant i actually borrowed that phrase from uh another wonderful writer in the book very philosophical kind of guy um named jeremy wolf um called thoughts on pot part two um thought spelled t-h-o-t-s and uh um, he, he calls uh, cannabis the people's psychedelic, a term I, I quite like. And the, I, I kind of borrow, I borrowed that term and started using the, the phrase, uh, the people's plant. It's always been with us. It always will be, uh, despite whatever restrictions you know, people try to put on it. Um, it's our human right to have access to this plant. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Yeah, well, we've been talking yeah. for an hour and a half. Uh, um, uh, what do you think? Does it sound like a good place to pack it in, or do you have any more burning questions? No, I think no, I, I think, think that about that,
4: wraps oh, it up. Oh, That's oh, a oh, good place to it's to, it's to end. To end. Did, did you have anything you wanted to get out before we wrap it up? Do you have a website or anything like that where our listeners can, can track you down or any more of your work they can check out? Can you get the book through your site instead of Amazon to... Uh,
3: I'm not selling it directly from the site. No, I've got got a buy button on there for going to the publisher, going to Amazon, or going to Barnes & Noble. Um, uh, If anyone can... order it from Banyan Books here in Vancouver, or, or any small bookstore, really, um, independent bookstore, um, I would encourage that because it's, uh, as many people know, really difficult to keep a bookstore alive these days. Um, and Banyan here in Vancouver is a fantastic bookstore. It's the sort of mind, body, spirit store. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. I'll and put a link in the show notes to that as well. That, that'd be great and and the owner of the of banyan uh, has been a supporter of the entheogens from the get-go he's been involved since it started in 1970 something and he's always had a section on the psychedelics or entheogens um, always been very supportive of them and uh, I'd love to see his bookstore uh, continue and be supported and and just bookstores in general you know that way um, yeah uh, if you do get and, it on Amazon leave a review no. Yes. yeah. Uh, And if anyone's uh, within striking distance of Vancouver, uh, I'd love to see you at our book launch celebration that we're having on Friday, January 27th. Uh, We've rented a sizable hall. We've hired a DJ. Some of the other contributors are going to be there to say a few words. Um, I'll mumble a few things for five minutes or so, Um, hopefully sign some copies of the book. And uh, we're calling it a cannabis friendly event. And uh, we're saying BYOC. I could have said BYOB because that works too. Or BYOP or (laughs) BY. Well, BYOB is a nice play on the uh, on the other version of BYOB, except that some people would get confused and bring the wrong substance. You know. (laughs) Um, uh, When is that? Uh, Friday, January twenty seventh in the evening, seven thirty. So. Uh, our ambition or our vision for this, uh, when I say our, it's the co-organizer from the Spirit Plant Medicine Conference, Selena Archambault and I are working on this together. Um, and uh, our, our vision for it is that it'd be a kind of, um, almost like a ceremony, like that we're marking and honoring the renaissance, the return of cannabis as a spiritual medicine. Um, so we're hoping that uh, we can get a lot of people high and get them dancing. Um, and just getting into the zone, as it were, you know, the flow is as one of you guys said earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great yeah. idea. Yeah. So anyone that can come to Vancouver for that, please do. Um, yes, my website is Cannabis and dot com. Easy to remember. Um, and I have a Facebook group that I'd love people to participate in. Subscribe to the blog, uh, offer comments, um, submit posts. You know, I'm happy to um uh to approve posts if anyone has anything intelligent to say about anything related to cannabis as a spiritual medicine and even not st- strictly spiritual but you know uh medicinal benefits and other things um uh I'm happy to post those uh, as well i have a twitter feed but i i'm really lazy with that i hardly ever do anything on it
1: right on well thanks a lot
3: Stephen well thank you guys yeah, and- um, yeah it was wonderful to meet you thank you well, thanks for being good listeners and letting me rant and ramble at length. Oh, it's great. great.
4: Yeah, Anytime. <laughs> and thanks sure. for the book.
3: Sure. Well, uh, uh, if you if you meet anytime, uh, we can continue this. I, I always forget at least 50% of what could have been said usefully, you know. Um, so if you want to do it again sometime, just let me know.
4: Absolutely. Yeah. Next time we'll do it in person. If you're ever coming through Calgary, let us know too.
3: Yeah, usually I go over Calgary, not
4: true. <laughs> the igloo is a safe space.
3: <laughs> well, my wife used to do the, I've forgotten the name of it, the art market or something. It was, I think, the largest uh, Christmas uh, art show in, in, uh, in Calgary. Spruce um, Meadows? What's that?
7: Spruce Meadows?
3: No, it was, it was held downtown at the convention center. Oh. Um, I forget what it was called, art market or something like that. Yeah. Um, uh we did that uh I go and help her out she stopped doing it uh three or four years ago but i i i several times went to calgary uh uh at a nasty time of year in november um when everything was bleak looking and the wind howled down the corridors of the skyscrapers and people were walking through um uh, covered walkways between streets you know plus 15 <laughs> what's that the
4: plus 15s. what's that that's what they call those walkways that go over the streets yeah those are awesome
3: yeah they are kind of cool but you know that, the problem is that you need them yeah. that is the problem <laughs> whereas vancouver all you need is a raincoat and mostly. an umbrella yeah 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 Whereas although this year we're having a ridiculously cold winter for here, you know, not enough to get sympathy from from anywhere else in Canada, but uh, but unusual for here where we've had snow on the ground in my backyard now for five weeks. And I've never seen that in the 40 years or so I've lived here. Um, Global warming. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's nonsense. 97
7: percent of scientists agree global warming is true. Hmm.
3: Well, Says the guy um,
7: from Time Magazine, I guess,
3: right? I like to think of it as global weirding or global <laughs> wild. you know? It's like everything's getting crazier and more extreme climate-wise. And I, I think we've hardly begun to see that one yet. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's a whole other issue, but it's, uh, you know, I, I referred to it very briefly earlier on, whereas we're, uh, regarding that there needs to be a consciousness transformation on this planet that affects a lot of people Um, and starts to change the way that we do business, so to speak. Um, Or we're in for a really, really difficult time. We might be anyway, but, um, you know, everyone needs to be doing their best to uh, help wake themselves up and wake other people up and contribute creative ideas to improving humanity and our relationship to the planet. And so, um, you know, our relationship to plants is a huge central part of that. Cannabis and trees. trees.
7: (laughs) And I think a lot of people need to need to be balanced. a lot of people don't understand i try I've, I've tried to explain it a couple of times, but the awareness, the waking up, and the awareness is important, but also the equanimity is important that's and, the same. I, and that's what's missing in a lot of things I think you know oh, that's absolutely. where that's where people get out of control in like Twitter fights or whatever and mm-hmm. and there's just yeah, it's not PC and it's not civility. It's more like just having a balanced mind.
3: Slow down, pay attention, relax, open your heart. It's it's uh, really difficult to do on some level, but it's um, a simple concept. Um, well, you know, well said. Um, and I like your word balance there too. Actually, uh, uh, there's a writer or uh, an academic, I guess, named Robert Malamed. Um, and uh, he's referred to cannabis as, uh, he has an article online called um, something like uh, cannabis or uh, endocannabinoid system or something like that, a uh, 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 regulator of cells, homeostatic regulator of cells and society. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Bell Joan Bellow talks about that a little bit in her chapter, that, that um, what cannabis does is it balances the parasympathetic and the sympathetic uh, system um, uh, in the autonomic, the ANS, the autonomic nervous system. Um, it creates a balance point. Um, it doesn't create, uh, the way she talks about it is, is that most people are swinging between um, uh, stress on one end or fatigue on the other end um, uh and sort of, you know, uh, haunted by by those that kind of imbalance, but that cannabis can balance you without swinging you into either extreme. Um, so there's a whole bit, a field of you know discussion on that issue as well. So yes, I see I see cannabis use uh, as central to this change that uh, we're talking about potentially.
7: Well, I you know, definitely can't definitely, wait to talk to you talk, again. Okay.
3: Yeah. All right, gentlemen. Nice to meet you. And um, anytime, just keep in touch. Wonderful. Thank you very much. Bye for now.
1: Take
4: care. Okay, good night. Bye bye. And that was a chat with uh, Stephen Gray. That was a fun one.
1: Yeah, it was great. Yeah,
4: big thanks, Stephen, for coming on the show. Nice little synchro show. Yeah. Please still listen to this one. Thanks, baby. (laughs) Love you.
1: Hi, Lisa. No, it's interesting times. It really is. And I, I like how he's promoting balance and. Yeah, that's the spirituality right. part of it. Absolutely. Because it can get out of control. Even pot, up. right? I mean, even guys like, famous guys like Graham Hancock and all were addicted to to pot, right? And who's the famous guy that just died? George Michaels, like, smoked 25 dubs a day or something. Like, that's getting out of control. 25
4: dubs a day. Jesus.
1: Yeah. So, so I mean, I don't know. It could be fake news, but I heard it from a couple reputable sources.
7: Hmm. Anyway. I guess we can
1: yeah. afford it. Yeah, why not? Like half a...
4: I like when you talk about the microphone. I like mm-hmm. half a gram
7: a day. I think
4: that's, that's about, about right. Right. my quote was uh every day, not all day. A little <laughs> day well
7: I like what he's saying though, is that you just smoke like twice a
4: week. I was thinking In about doing a little cleanser yeah, day like yeah. week off. Yeah, and what, and
7: I really am feeling like yeah, I need to but also this thing too, you know? I really feel like my New Year's New Year's resolution needs to be get off the phone. And what I mean is the Surfing the web constantly, and
4: coffee. Don't you start saying negative things about. And the weed.
7: Coffee. Hey, man. <laughs> hey, Darren. You want to go for three months no weed with me?
4: Want um, to be my support? I'll be your support. You want to go with me? You can come here and watch me smoke weed if it helps. <laughs> my new espresso machine. Oh, I just love
1: lattes and sativas. I've been pretty good on coffee. I have one like grande cup. A day now. That's it. Well, unless I'm podcasting, then I have another All one. All bets are off. I'm yeah. Good. Three Red Bull night. A
4: big thanks to Stephen for coming on the show. Check out the book. Uh, we'll link to that in the show notes. Review it if you can, of course, wherever you can. Buy a local if you can. And uh, yeah, don't forget to stop and smell the flowers.
1: Yeah, spam's been a little late, so send Graham some spam. Or right. smoke the flowers.
4: Smoke the flowers after you smell the flowers. After you cure the flowers properly. Anyway. Big thanks to Stephen. Thanks for listening, guys. Oh, you should should support the show if you can, when you can. Um, There's a bunch of different ways to do that. You can do that financially at grandmereco.ca slash support. Uh, Sign up for a monthly, if you can, anywhere from a buck a month uh, and up. Or uh, if you can't support monetarily, just share the show, review the show, and tell your friends about the show. And that's all we ask. Send in your stories if you can, trip reports, microaggressions. Uh, What else? Lucid Dreams. We
1: got some jingles. UFO sightings.
4: Yeah, we got some new jingles. So those are always cool when people send in jingles. Ghost stories. Yeah, all that shit's great. Someone sent us a microphone.
1: Yeah. That microphone. Yeah, thanks for the mic that Mike was using today. Did it make that's it right. any better? It's better yeah, for you me ta- when you talk into it. It's better.
7: Yeah. It's hard. I'm getting used to it. I apologize, everyone. Who said it? that? We need here, to Robert. strap
1: something to. his like, strap. I was wondering
7: about that. Like a
1: like a rope.
4: A something. gamer. If, if he
1: moves too far away, it pulls
4: him yeah, by. Yeah. Well, this kind of does that. Yeah. Well, just tie your headphones around the. Anyway, I think that's about it. Um, yeah. Thanks for listening, guys, and we will see you next week.